Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another session of Secure IT. It's where we discuss cybersecurity, the people, the trends, and the products. Today, I've got a great personality, and I'm hoping you see the video version of this really cool guest, uh, all dressed in black with a nice black background. Uh, thank you for joining us today for an exciting podcast. And I'm not just saying that. Today's guest helps take the offensive when it comes to cybersecurity and is a well-known personality in the world of podcasts with one of the longest-running industry podcasts. I cannot wait to learn more. Welcome, Tyler Robinson. Well, appreciate that. It was a very warm welcome. Uh, I'm very excited to be here with you guys. Uh, this is going to be a fun Fun podcast uh, to chat about all the things that, you know, sometimes we don't get to chat about. There's a lot of news going on. There's a lot of technical things that I typically am diving into uh, or, or speaking about. But I think this one will be a little bit more interesting. We can take a little bit higher level approach and get into some of the fun things happening in uh, today's security landscape. And that exactly is the idea of this podcast. You know, we've got hours and hours and hours of technical learning and, and detailed technical conversations. Uh, this series goes through the people, the products, and, and how we got here. So we want to learn more about you. Uh, and that is an amazing segue, Tyler. Walk us through your background, your career, and the various choices uh, that you made to get here. And, and we asked this question for two reasons, right? You, you are doing what you're doing as an influence of your past. So we'd, we'd like to know what goes behind the decisions that you take in your career. And equally important, uh, future aspirants for your job, you know, are here listening and want to know how to get here, right? So, you know, ethical hacker, social engineering, leadership, coach, marketing, podcasts. Um, uh, tell us more about your career and your trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, been a wild couple of decades. We'll say I've been at this for a little over two decades in the kind of IT space, uh, security space. I was doing uh, hacking back in the early 90s, uh, phone freaking and, and such back before there was a profession around this. So it was very nice when they allowed you to make money uh, and not go to jail. Uh, both those things are really good, uh, highly motivating for me. So uh, when that started to kind of make that shift, um, and I spent the better part of uh, the first decade and a half really learning IT space. Uh, I helped in a lot of the uh, deployment of 911 networks, uh, high critical networks for local and county government, uh, did a lot around um, school districts. So I spent a lot of time in the security space and on the operations side, which has really shaped my career, honestly, uh, when I can understand both the business and operation side as well as the offensive pieces. Uh, one thing a lot of people miss out on is, you know, we don't have a decade uh, to kind of get the experience anymore for people coming into this. So they're, you know, taking traditional college education around cybersecurity, which wasn't offered until very recently. Uh, so we're kind of fast tracking that. But the experience you learn from something like help desk or to having to deploy all these different hardwares and technologies, consulting, uh, very on, early on in my career, even back when I was 12, uh, my grandfather had me out uh, doing marketing and, and talking to clients, doing the, the client-facing things on my own. 
And that really shaped my ability to speak business language, to articulate ideas, to sell things. All these things are, are critical in the IT space, and it's something that is often forgotten. There's a lot of technical things to learn, um, and I did do that. But that was, uh, that was the passion was the technical side. The things that make you good money and, and progress you in your career is your personality, your ability to sell uh, not only a product, but yourself, your services, uh, even an idea, getting that buy-in, uh, being able to speak to leadership, understanding how businesses work and what uh, verticals and, and lingo to use for different groups. All those things are, are critically important to advancing a career. And so I started out very in a very good spot. Uh, but as I moved through it, I went from the IT space and, and all the hacking and got into the offensive space. We we're always breaking stuff and breaking into things. And then we figured out that, hey, we can help people and help our organizations by doing this better. So uh, before there were colors and red teams and purple teams and, and all the other disparate colors we have now, you know, we were, we were just doing hacking. We were breaking stuff. Uh, then it went into like black boxes and uh, all, the, all the things that it's kind of progressed from vulnerability scanning to penetration testing and all the iterations of what the industry has kind of come to finally uh, build a definition around and have some frameworks and fundamentals figured out. So it's been a journey to kind of get to this point, but uh, the last, we'll call it the last decade has been spent building red teams, building offensive services, coming up with uh, new and unique ways to break into buildings, everything from the physical uh, aspect of getting in and cloning badges and being the UPS guy uh, to really breaking fundamental hardware that we rely on in critical infrastructure. So I spent a lot of time in you know, ICS environments, highly secure government environments, um, everything from corporate 1000 down to one uh, we've done work with and business in. And so uh, understanding how the each of these companies and, and verticals are different and seeing how the security maturity model uh, is progressing and how different companies actually approach this is uh, giving me a, a very nice platform to be able to speak from where I see things working, where I see things not working, where I see uh, multiple creative ideas. Uh, all of these different platforms has really provided a lot of insight. So diversity has been uh, a key a cornerstone to how my career has been able to advance to where it is and, and some of the jobs that I've been able to get into, you know, working, consulting for Silent Break Security and uh, in Guardians and Nisos, all very, very high-end boutique shops where I've built services and built programs with uh, a lot of amazing, talented teams. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that with a, without a lot of the groundwork and, and cornerstones of the fundamentals. So it's been good to have that diversity and that kind of plethora of knowledge to draw from in order to make my career progress where it's at. But there's also a lot of luck involved. We'll say that uh, you make your own luck. I do believe in, in luck, but that luck is created and opportunity and success is created as you move forward. So really utilizing your skills and abilities to build relationships, maintain those relationships long-term. I can't tell you how many relationships I, you know, bought someone a beer, spoke at a, a conference with them for 20 minutes and, and followed up once or twice every couple of years just to see how they were doing. Uh, and they end up in a, a very prominent job. And that's, you know, those relationships and, and continually being able to communicate and build those relationships and, and a network around those uh, has also allowed me to go and do many things that otherwise I would be, you know, there'd be no way to 
build the career path that I've done. So the luck is, is there, but that luck is created through success and caring and nurturing of uh, fundamentally being a good human. Tyler, you had me at phone freaking, okay? That yeah. was a term that would cause dread. Um, and, you know, the UPS guy, right? We spend millions, billions on cybersecurity. And sometimes, and we were talking about this on a previous podcast, it, it takes the janitor or the UPS guy to kind of walk in and slip, you know, a one U out from the rack and walk right out or access cards or whatever else it is. And it's so common that you leave a USB uh, uh, flash or thumb drive lying around and it's human nature to go plug it in and let me see, you know, what I've got. Um, well said, and I thank you for that beautiful ride through your career. And it's all about the basics, isn't it? It's it's back to the basics. It's relationships. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. And the colors. Um, we do have colorful lives, right? We, we've got the, the black hats and the white hats and the gray hats. And we've got red teams and blue teams. Um, from what you've said, it's important that you get your, your blue team down before you so you get your basics in and then you go on to a red team explain the colors if you if you can please for our guests and, and tell us about the exciting life of red teams yeah absolutely so i mean the the way colors have kind of come around is uh, goes way back to the military days uh, of different organizations you have offense and defense really this is one of those areas that um, I, th I think we've created some of the gaps with inside of our particular organizations and created abrasion because of the way that we've labeled things and, and kind of put a mindset around it. Uh, blue teams are the defensive teams, so people doing SOC, doing knock, threat hunting, um, operations, anybody setting up infrastructure, network admins, sysadmins, all that they're considered enrolled underneath the blue team. They're the people with the real hard job, right? And then you have the red team, which is the offensive operations. That's um, that's things coming against the organization in an offensive way to try and break them, hack in, find vulnerabilities, find risks. And then the real separation here, the, the problem we've kind of run into in this industry is by separating these and, and having these teams work autonomously and separately so long is that we really have started to identify as different teams. And if you're doing good offensive operations, you're doing good consulting, good pen testing, uh, good red teaming, any of the things that are offensive in nature, you really are working for the blue team and we're all on the same team. And so there's been a disparate uh, kind of split or gap uh, where the arrogance of, of offensive operators or red teamers uh, throughout the years of, you know, hey, we broke your stuff. Here's a report. Go fix it. Like your stuff sucks. Like you call your baby ugly and don't provide a lot of value. So we've separated those teams and that, that real arrogance and ego has really driven apart those those groups. You know, we've started to mend a lot of that by trying to shift the mindset and take some of those gaps away with what's called purple teaming, uh, where you're doing offensive operations. You're working very closely with the blue team. So red and blue making purple. Um, those those combinations of really starting to bring the teamwork back and understand that, you know, if, if I'm always succeeding and blue is failing as a red team side, like I've failed, we are on the same team and, and I am not making the world a safer place. I'm not making the organization I'm working for a safer place. And if I can't lay down my ego enough to 
figure out where the maturity level of an organization is and bring my capabilities to match those and provide value to them working very closely with these teams, then we're really not making any progress. And I think that is one of the reasons that we've not seen as much progress as maybe we could have if, if we had done this a little bit different in the earlier days. But we are all iterating and learning as we're going. So uh, there was a lot of ego. There was a lot of, you know, from a black hat standpoint or, you know, an offensive standpoint, you're very, very technical. You understand the in-depth side. Like, I may only have to be right once, which is kind of the the saying as it goes, you know, blue has to be right every time and, and the offense only has to be right once. But in order to be right once, I really have to know every piece of technology you have, every piece of technology that your neighbor has, the fundamentals of how those work, the implementations of how you've implemented those, how they're broken, the protocols underneath, and all of the vulnerabilities inside of those. And sometimes I don't even know that. I'm creatively trying to figure out how to break this. So being right once is kind of a, a nuance that is not correct. It takes a lot of effort to know everything about everything in order to find that one right thing in a, in a very large stack of technology. And that's across just about every platform out there. So really bringing together both of these sides and getting the egos to kind of get laid down so that we can make a bigger difference in the world and start to see the security improve because we've got blinky lights. We've got billions of dollars being invested every year. We've got more technology and security insights and awareness and training and capabilities than we've ever had before. And we're still seeing more and more breaches. We're still seeing more and more attacks. Uh, the sophistication is getting better and higher by the adversaries, but we don't really have an excuse there because we are also uh, much more funded uh, from a defensive side and we have much more choices as far as how we go about protecting and, and the opportunity to do the protections. But what you said earlier is is really the, the reason why we're, we are where we are. We have not went back to the fundamentals. We're not getting the basics right. We're not deploying securely. We are not starting to think uh, in the secure or security mindset as we build and develop products. Uh, everything is capitalistic. We have a bottom line. We have a bottom dollar. And sometimes security has not fit into that. This is 2021. We now have to think about that in every aspect of every life because it can mean the difference between financial loss, gain, safety, life. Uh, you see all the ransomware like, yeah, you may be a small meat packing company or a bigger meat packing company, but your decisions and not putting security with inside of the business model now is not an option. And so we really have to get back to the fundamentals and the basics and start to get some of that right. Uh, and that takes collaboration. We have to understand what fundamentals to prioritize, which you need some offensive mindsets and some evil mindsets like myself, where you know I'm coming up with really, really evil, devious ways to get into your network. And I, I promise, you know, whoever I'm targeting will click on whatever I send and it's gonna get in your network. If I can't get in that way, I will get in physically. Like there's no real good way to keep it out. So building that defense in depth and providing uh, good security across all of the technical stacks and thinking about it and really changing the culture in each organization is where we have to get to without the culture shift and the mindset shift internally with inside of organizations uh, you you can deploy as many blinky boxes as you want but like you said i can always get someone to click on something uh, i can always find a way in physically i can always barter or buy or uh, do other black bag people in order to make them uh, comply with what I need done as an attacker. We don't play by the rules. So uh, 
Uh, you really have to develop that attacker mindset internally and shift your your culture so that everyone is on board and you're making a meaningful life for them personally so they understand why they need to do security. If that job security relies on them doing security, you attach it back to that personally and help them really grasp on to uh, how to do security for one, and then how to attach that and bring that back to their personal lives so that they can be more secure at home and those habits translate back into the organization. You are looking at times, and you've, you've alluded to this when you've said, you know, you've got to be right once, and it takes a lot to be right once, but you're looking for, you know, a pinhole uh in, in an edifice that's the size of the Hoover Dam sometimes. And so being wrong once can be equally disastrous. Uh, so it's a tough job. Someone's got to do it. And you are in that rare stratosphere of our guests on whom I'm spending almost a quarter of this segment only on an introduction, uh, just because <laughs> it's so intriguing, right? Uh, tell us more about you know, your, your role as leadership in leadership, uh, a coach, uh, the podcast piece of your life before we move on to your day job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the, the leadership side and the mentoring, like we've spent a lot of time trying to get, like I said, some of this message out there. We've been doing this a while and, you know, a lot of us with inside the offensive space that have put, you know, two decades of our life kind of behind this and trying to make change in securing the world, uh, we've gotten to the point where we've realized we can't scale. Uh, I can't do everything and the limited number of people that have been doing this long enough and have had that experience uh, to kind of get to where we're at, uh, that doesn't scale. So really trying to develop good mentoring strategies where we can uh, have people come up the hard way, learn the tenacity it takes to do this, learn how to figure out uh, how, to, how to learn is very important, how to figure out answers, uh, the curious nature and really being creative, but also shortcutting those from the standpoint of a leadership. Like, let me show you how I did this early on and let me show you how to not make some of those same mistakes and, and shortcut the areas in which you're going to waste a lot of time and resources. So figuring out where those are while not breaking some of the fundamentals that we need, which is the tenacity. We're in a, a culture now and in generations that have 15 second attention spans and are used to swiping up, swiping left, swiping right and, and being done. And some of these problems take, you know, months, even, even culminations of years to strategize out, but we don't have that time. So getting that, that bridge of, I need your attention span to be able to maintain and be tenacious, but I also don't want you to waste your time on things that I can help you get through quickly. And I think that's where we're at is really trying to get the next generation to establish what they want to be without having to uh, become us. Uh, there's a lot of creative natures. There's a lot of things that could be done different that the next generation is going to have to take the mantle and bring up. So leadership around that has been one of my core focuses and trying to figure out the mentoring. Um, and we do some of that through the podcast. Uh, Security Weekly has been around 15 years. I mean, back in wow, the early congratulations. days. congratulations. Actually, it'll be 16 years this year. So uh, we've been doing this for a while. The, the network was acquired by CRA recently, which is a cyber risk alliance. They own SC Media, SC Labs, a couple other things. But the, the podcast itself and the network we've built has like nine or 10 shows, different verticals from compliance, security and compliance weekly, 
to Enterprise Security Weekly, Business Security Weekly, all of the different aspects that you need to kind of get into and learn. Uh, the interviewers and, and the the hosts and the guests that we bring on are some of the the most renowned names that we can find. So. If you're trying to figure out how to stay up to date, how to understand who's the players, what are they talking about, what are they focusing on, kind of where their mindset is, really you have to have uh, some some kind of framework to follow. And, and a lot of that can come through podcasts, books, uh, reading. I would say books are a little bit harder with ours, our kind of uh, vertical because stuff's out of date by the time you get it printed and written. So Really, the podcast provides a good place to have some mentorship, have that ear so you're hearing what's going on, how people are speaking, what they're thinking about. Those are important pieces. So we try and do the podcast. Uh, that's every Wednesday now. It's the first time in 16 years we switched it to a different day. Uh, but all the others, you know, there's a podcast for every day of the week and, and every uh, different subject you're trying to get a hold of. So that's one real good way. And then obviously I do security uh, research for Trimark. Uh, adsecurity.org, Sean Metcalf, he's established that, provide that free to the community. Uh, that company there, we're trying to figure out how to fix a lot of Active Directory through offensive and defensive capabilities. It's, you know, it's what is out there everywhere. Whenever you do an assessment, you'll always find Active Directory. You'll always end up attacking it and breaking it. So we're trying to focus on a key area that we can uh, build and develop better strategies so that companies can start to actually make a difference uh, in their core area of directory services. Along with, uh, I do have a consulting agency that I do you know, some boutique stuff here and there, but uh, all of all of this is just to say it's very, very busy if you get into this life. This is a something you'll eat, breathe, and sleep uh, because you like to do it. Um, a lot of people you know, take it because it's a high paying job. If you don't love this job, you will burn out and it will not be fun. So uh, make sure that you're doing what you love in life. And if this is what interests you and you you have a passion for it, uh, then it won't be a job, really. There's nothing I'm doing that is uh, truly work other than reporting. I say, you know, I would do most of this for free. They pay me to write reports. I hate writing. <laughs> you are an ambassador for what you do. You're having fun at what it is. And the old adage holds true. It's If it's fun, it's really not work. But you've you've put this all well together and that's the reason why i wanted to talk a little more on, on your background uh people can easily find you on linkedin um you know look up uh, tyler robinson and uh, security weekly and they'll get your podcast as well so let's talk about well your daytime fun if it's not a job anymore tyler so um Absolutely. you know the the talk about the cybersecurity landscape in general um and and with the perspective from red teaming right there's root canals there's irs audits and then there's the hi hiring uh the red team to figure out what the heck are they going to find you know just when i've spent about eight million dollars trying to protect my company uh so tell us more about the current landscape of cybersecurity and where your role fits in yeah, the red teaming, uh, the, the landscape is very interesting right now. What what we've been saying and what I've been kind of preaching for the last three to five years is we're going to see this gap continue to split where you've got companies that are maturing and making a difference because they've invested the time, they've put the maturity and the effort in, they're investing in people. Uh, so we're seeing a, a split where a lot of these companies are getting worse and a lot of companies are getting much better and there's not really a ton in between and so you'll see a lot of attacks where you know the fundamentals aren't getting done and 
as a red teamer, I go in and uh, run very stealthy operations. And that's, you know, breaking into buildings, sending phishing emails, finding ways to bypass AV, EDR, uh, your spam protections, getting stuff on the box and, and communicating out. But really, those are just the, the core aspects of pen testing or offensive security or red teaming. The, the part that makes many of us good at this is we're able to identify and understand the business. If I was an attacker with an attacker's mindset, what is the business risk that I can exploit? And a lot of even the businesses don't understand their, their real risk or how an attacker would attack them. You look at, uh, you look at something like a, a hospital and, you know, most, most of the hospital admins or even CISOs are going to be thinking, you know, we got to protect our PII. We got to protect our patient data. We got to protect that. As an attacker, I'm thinking pretty evil, like PII, those, those identities are worth, you know, maybe 50 cents, maybe if I can get rid of them, but I'm after that long-term access. What can I pivot through? What kind of information can I utilize from there? What can I hold for ransom? What things are critical in such a way that as a business, you're going to pay me or I'm going to be able to leverage that information. So it's accounting, figuring out your accounting and how to send fraudulent insurance bills because I'm in your payment system and email system so I can remit payments to myself. Like that's a motivated attacker. They're capitalistic at nature and they're trying to figure out how to monetize this. And many people just don't have that evil bit to kind of think through like, would someone actually send a food drive during Christmas in order to get in and, and, you know, make, make an attack successful? Absolutely. I do it all the time. We've raised a lot of food and a lot of toys for a lot of kids that we had to go pick up after our engagement was done because it was so successful. So as an attacker, like nothing's off limits and it takes a little bit of a stretch of imagination for most people to think evilly like we do. So the threat landscape is definitely changing where uh, you will see a lot more mature companies um, putting a lot more security controls in place, but because they're larger usually and have a bigger budget, they also have more assets to protect. So there's always chinks in the armor. The more things you have, the more areas there are to make mistakes and large scale, everyone makes mistakes. Small scale, everyone makes mistakes. So you really have to have that defense in depth and the mindset of like, if I am breached, what is my time to detection and time to remediation. How do we get that that dwell time down and how do we have visibility in the correct location so that we stop people like me? As it doesn't take me very long once I'm on a network and you know usually I'm in and on a network within a couple hours. It doesn't take very long to to own it in such a way that it's very difficult to get an attacker out of those networks and we're we're seeing a lot of the uh, the problems with that now, uh, not to mention you start to look at the delicate nature of how everything is integrated uh, between ICS, uh, not um, supply chains. You, know, you look at chip manufacturers, this last shelf for log thing that's happened that just shows you how vulnerable and how frail we are for our reliance on technology. And those are things that are important, which I'm trying to figure out, you know, where to put effort and um, my time and energy because we have to make a difference. Otherwise, you know, this could be the next uh, catastrophic nuclear failure because something has happened where we're relying on a supply chain that is compromised. So uh, there's a lot going on in, in the space between the ransomware and, and, and all of the things that we're dealing with from vulnerability standpoint and keeping up that we're not making a ton of progression. We're 
treading water more or less, trying to maintain our vulnerabilities, maintain all the things that are coming out in the news, uh, and maybe move a, a micro step forward in our progression of a maturity or security roadmap. So food drives are not sacred anymore. Uh, wow. So, which brings up an, a, a very interesting topic and something that I'm constantly intrigued about, and that's human nature. You know, you see a homeless guy, and the last thing you would do is try to steal his food, right? You, we were just, we're geared to help. Uh, we're geared to feel bad. And um, especially at this time of year, you know, the, the EQ is higher, the, the emotional quotient, and we're warm and fuzzy. And we talk about gratitude and giving back and paying it forward. And so all this is, you know, this is devoid or doesn't exist in the dark web amongst the bad guys. There are no rules. There are no morals. Um, and we put this against defenseless a uh, new intern hire in accounting who is going to go to the office party this Saturday and wants to impress his or her co-workers and looks up the favorite gingerbread recipe, uh, you know, and guess what? Probably brings down the, the whole network. I hope I'm not giving anyone too many ideas. So you you talk about uh, security awareness training, Tyler, in, in, in your posts and some of your conversations and some of your podcasts. Um, there is social engineering, which is, you know, a big piece of what you do. It's it's understanding, and you've alluded to this multiple times. So break down social engineering for us and our listeners and tell us, you know, how do we mitigate for human behavior being such a big component of cybersecurity risk? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, social engineering is is very critical, and I, I have alluded to this a little bit from um, from what we do. We we really are working on relationships. We're working on the mental aspects and the psychology of this. I've spent a, a the better part of a decade learning psychology and really diving into what drives people, what creates different personalities. How do you interact and manipulate personality types and uh, the attackers do the same thing. So the problem that I, I've seen with inside of the industry is there's such a, a harping on security awareness training. Security awareness training, train your users, they won't click. Train your users. A lot of the stuff that I send and, and the malicious nature of, of good attackers, you're not going to be able to tell the difference. Sometimes I can't even tell the difference between what I'm sending. There's not the key indicator. You can't just hover on a link and you know, you're missing the lock icon. I guarantee that's not going to be a thing on mine. Uh, I'm leveraging domains that are, are very well curated, standing long-term. They are very accurate, highly rated, better business bureaus rating them. Like, There's not good ways for your users to defend against real good attackers. Yes, they should be trained in security so that they don't click easy stuff. But if it's easy, it probably shouldn't be making it into your environment in the beginning. If it is difficult, you shouldn't rely on the users to be able to identify that. As an attacker, I leverage people's jobs against them. In HR, their job is to open resumes and to find candidates for job postings that they put. So I will send a resume and I'll be a very good candidate. They have to open the resume. So there needs to be technological controls to support and back the end user's uh, decision tree. Yes, if you can get them to make a decision, that's one less step out of your defense in depth plan that you have to deal with, but you should have multiple layers. You shouldn't just be relying on a spam filter or a URL uh, link 
rewriter, those, you know, are controls and they should be in place, but those aren't going to save you. So you must rely on these multiple layers and not just the user. The, the user's job, and again, like we said, the user's attention spans about 15 seconds for whatever TikTok thing is going on that week or whatever recipe they found on Pinterest. So they're not thinking and their psychology is not in a place to evaluate and make a good technological decision. And they probably do not have the technological capabilities to make a decision for anything that is going to be relevant from an attack site or sophisticated. So we really do have to start getting around the idea of security awareness training should be there, but security awareness training should take the effect of building culture. I think having users click through videos and learn how to spot phishing is fairly useless, honestly. There's billion billion dollar companies built around this and you know, not like spitting on their product, but there's better ways to do that. I think if we adopted security culture and you did lunch and learns where offensive people came in and showed them what happens when they click a link, what's the capability of an attacker? What is he going after? What is he looking for? Those passwords that you saved on your desktop in a text file, the the uh, access to your email where you've sent a corporate document that may have a password or a link or uh, some information that I can use. It's not always passwords. It's not always credentials that an attacker's after. Most of the time when I gain access, I'm in a company's Slack channels or I'm in their SharePoint or Teams. I'm reading through emails. I'm gaining intelligence. I'm looking at how they do processes, how the company runs, who talks to who, what's the frequency of those and, and the verbiage and psychology around how they interact. All those become important when I go to build the attack I'm going to do because it's going to be very targeted and I'm not going to just be spraying and you know dropping exploits everywhere. Most of my engagements, I would say I've very rarely used an exploit. All of my stuff is utilizing people against them, uh, companies, functionality, and business needs against them, and just doing that in a way that is going to gain whatever I'm trying to accomplish from a business objective to show their business risk as an attacker would look at it and not how IT sees security risk or what's on the, the tree of vulnerabilities to go and remediate that week or that year that's on a security roadmap. All of those things are important and you do need to do the security fundamentals and make sure that those are done right. But as an attacker, like that's why you bring in a red team. Uh, really, most of the engagements I do, I, I won't do a red full scope red team unless a company is, is mature enough to gain uh, gain some insight, has visibility, will benefit from me actually doing that. If they can't see anything, they don't aren't set up and aren't mature enough to do that, that's a pretty wasted engagement unless they need impact from executives above. But I think cybersecurity is now past that point. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows it's important. We don't need to get the buy-in quite as much. But the ability for offensive people to come in and do that and wreck your company, like unless you're mature enough to handle that, my job is to go find the gaps, find the things, the easy stuff that uh, should be fixed. I'm usually not looking for. If it's there, yeah, I guess I'll exploit it, but there's other ways to do this. So I'm looking for the business risk and identifying in your network what it is you need to go fix because if an attacker gets in, this is where they're going to look, this is where they're going to hide, and this is what they're going to do to you. So trying to, to put that impact into business lingo and let them understand how serious it is and what big levers management and executives need to be able to have or pull to make a difference. And that, that prioritization of things that actually matter, 
that's the difference between good companies doing this and regular you know, pen test companies or getting a vulnerability assessment or just a regular pen test puppy mill checkup. Those are things that you know anybody can do. You can do that internally. So I think we've moved past that as a, a an industry, and you can do this well um, if you know how to ask for good pen tests. If you know what to look for, you understand your maturity realistically, and you have the scoping of the pen test and and the relational uh, company you're building with that's doing your your engagements making sure that those are scoped and tailored for your level of maturity so you get value out of this and you move down the road and there's good recommendations offered through it. And the bad guys have all the time in the world. So just listening to you, uh, you know, on, on the anatomy of an attack, you bring up an extremely valuable point is that the bad guys have enough time and that's a commonality with you know your local neighborhood crook um the or you know the general of one of the taliban and you know and i know you have dod involvement and i thank you for your uh, work that you're doing in the military area but a general one of the taliban guys bad guys once said recently that you know the u.s uh, team might have watches and clocks but we have the time uh, so it's a point that that we've got to be aware of that that these attacks are meticulously planned with a lot of time, a lot of observation, um, and the moment that we see this is really the tip of a very long spear or iceberg before it. And to that point, uh, equally an opposite on 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 mitigation. Security awareness training is a tip of the iceberg. There's multiple layers as you as you talked about, um, and um, uh, multiple layers of security and solutions and architecture that we've got to put in. So well said. Uh, don't put all the pressure on my previously aforementioned intern. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Tyler, moving on. Where let's look ahead. Uh, you you've already talked about these these multiple layers of solutions. Uh, let's throw in you know, security awareness training. Let's throw in uh, zero trust. These are great buzzwords and very very topical. There's uh, continuous behavioral analytics today uh, that that um, you know is is now taking shape. Our parent company Pluralock does a lot of. Uh, continuous behavioral analytical tools and using AI. And the CEO, Ian Patterson, was quick to remind us that, look, hey, we're using AI as the good guys. Well, guess what? The same tools available to the bad guys too. And we can't forget that, right? We can't put our heads in the sand and think, oh, we're cool, we're good. We've got all the solution set. So everything that, that you've said so far goes to this next question as to, you know, where, from where you're sitting, where are we heading? What's what does cybersecurity look like? You know, it's it's a time of year to make our our New Year's resolutions. What does cybersecurity look like next year, or in the short term, in the three to five years to come? There's a there's a lot that's going to happen. I think in the in the next few years. I mean, we'll see a lot of the same. There's a lot of companies that are are making good strides. We're very early on in the kind of AI and ML and big data uh, analytics side of this. But while there is a lot there that is broken and very very immature, uh, 
it has a huge promise because it does take some of the effort out from the human. What we've run into is we've scaled at such a rate that we have so much data, so much traffic, uh, so many assets and things on our network that we as a human cannot keep up manually doing tasks. And so uh, before we were writing programs and scripts to kind of keep up with some of this and automate some of this, even that doesn't scale well with the level of business and how fast business moves and how much data and processing and just keeping track of emails and, and social media for a company is is exponentially hard. So we're going to start leveraging the AI and ML and analytics in a much more intelligent way as we move forward. Yes, attackers are using that very much in the same way. Like I will enumerate out what it takes to get past your spam filter because I can enumerate your machine learning hierarchy tree and hey, I will use that exact same model in order to model my attacks. That's great. Uh, so while attackers are not adopting this quite as fast, I think, as some of the bigger companies, the way in which they use it is much more nefarious and allows, again, much more automation, much smarter decisions. On, can I execute my payload? Is this in a sandbox? Is it being looked at by an EDR? Is this all on the client network? All those things that you know could typically get you caught leveraging AI and ML and uh, a lot of the tree learning to make smarter decisions automatically is stuff attackers are using. So we will see the attacks again become more sophisticated. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of places to hide. There's a lot of chips and code and, and even more code that's, that's coming down the pipe. Some of the things I think we'll see from an attacker side, and I've said this for a couple years now, and it's just starting to come into fruition is our adoption to the cloud and then our adoption back to the cloud and the hybrid that we've taken and now the self-reliance on other people's infrastructure in combination with our own and SaaS applications uh, along with single sign-on, we're getting to the point where an attacker, if he's able to compromise any one of the applications in your tree, your supply chain, your single sign-on, uh, or your SaaS applications, he gains an extreme amount of knowledge and control with inside the organization and can leverage that for a long period of time. I don't necessarily need domain admin. In fact, most of the time I'm not going after that because it's a highly monitored account. I need to be able to get to the place that has data, and often I can do that with things like developer creds, API keys, where we have so much data, so much interoperability and interaction between all of our applications and businesses and vendors and SaaS applications that we will start to see a lot of these becoming compromised. And I think we're on the precipice of seeing ransomware make a shift to SaaS applications. If uh, ransomware was able to take down, say, your Salesforce and lock out your master account, do a mass password reset and have two-factor authentication on that account and hold it ransom, I don't have to exfil any data. I don't have any vulnerability to get to. I'm simply abusing a login and I have control of a major corporation and one of the key aspects of what allows them to do business or make money. That's pretty big. That's how attackers are thinking and working. So I think we'll see that shift where they're moving away from data and the ransoming of data to things that people rely on, the infrastructure, VMware. Um, I've seen ransomware start to leverage VMware, your firewall if you can't get data in or out of your network. These things that we rely on and have single points of failure or have a high degree of monetary loss uh, to fail over to something else 
is where we'll start to see the attacks. And so the attackers are going to get smarter. They're always going to move. They're always going to pivot. That's one of the uh, great advantages. That there's always targets and there's always creative ways to move and make money as an attacker. In a business, that's not always the case. You have a a product, you've got a service, you've got a, a vertical, you typically do not pivot. You don't have that creative ability. You want to make innovation and come up with new things, but you're not always making those easy pivots like an attacker will. Uh, and they're watching you for where you're moving to so that they have their next attack ready to go and to be able to leverage it against you. So I think we'll see a lot of that in the, in the future. The blockchain is also very interesting, all the cryptocurrency and, and how banks are uh, backing all of these contracts and smart contracts with code. Uh, those are going to be much more prevalent. We've been evaluating the security on a lot of these these smart contracts and we're finding a lot of vulnerabilities that cost millions and billions of dollars. So uh, there'll be a ton of research and, and I think shift from an offensive space, uh, attackers attacking these smart contracts as well as uh, practitioners moving over to the blockchain and securing the blockchain and securing smart contracts and Bitcoin. Uh, all those things are here to stay and being relied on more and more each day. Uh, but the security of those are maybe not as well thought out or they're just getting to the point where they have to mature quickly. There's a lot of very smart people doing it. And because there's a lot of money involved, security is going into the initial, um, the initial thought process of a lot of this. Uh, but there are people making mistakes, just like in any other code and application. There are mistakes in that, and catching it before it goes to production is uh, much more monetarily uh, incentivized for some of these companies. So we'll see a big shift in in the attacks on that, as well as the security moving forward for it. That's that's a scary look into that uh, <laughs> crystal ball, uh, Tyler. But I appreciate it. I mean, this is this is why we're here. This is why we're. We're having these conversations to build the awareness. Uh, the bad guys can use, you know, in, in a judo martial arts like move, uh, the very tool that you're using for your mitigation, like, you know, single sign-on or multi-factor authentication and weaponize it against you. It's, a, it's, it's an important, uh, important point to consider. And, uh, you know, talking about AI and mission, machine learning and, uh, big data almost sounds like one of those Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator-like scenes where the machines are fighting the machines, right? Except there's not yet, there's no bullets and fire going around. Yeah, that's the only part they got some of these these things wrong, right? Was the, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the kinetic effect. However, I mean, there are kinetic uh, aspects to a lot of the attacks, and I think we will see more around, you know, industrial controls and critical infrastructure. So the kinetic side of this, there's a lot of hardware attached to a lot of different things. You look at cars, that's a very scary day when you can start to become kinetic and you know cause disruption in strategic. It doesn't even have to be large scale manners. You make you know a very key appointee that's voting on something that's critical in another country and you make their car shut down, you're late, there's technical issues. I mean, there's a lot of strategy behind this that that people think it just has to be catastrophic and very, very large scale for it to be an attack. But attackers would rather not get caught and they would rather their attacks be able to be reused. And so some of this will go unnoticed and, and be very strategic in its uh, methodology and when and where it's used. Right. The, the, the fire line that we've created between, you know, our inf information technology uh, protection 
uh, and a jump to industrial control systems is very thin and very frail. I mean, you know, everyone thought the colonial pipeline was more industrial control issue, but they came close. I mean, it was, you know, one step and it was very low hanging. So uh, I guess we got, we all got lucky in that case. You know, uh, the, the fear and uncertainty caused almost the same effect that uh, an attack on an industrial control system would. Um, Which is the scary part, right? Like your, yes. our ability to control the market, to control things like you know, cryptocurrency values or stock market values based on what's happening outside of even that vertical that that stock is within. You know, you can, you can very quickly see how people can make money short trading stocks or causing yep. collapse for a short period based on a small attack that you know, may or may not have any relevance to what's going on. So uh, I, I think attackers maybe aren't quite there. Nation states, yes, they can definitely hedge bets. And I believe there are a lot of people that make money off of this kind of stuff preemptively. But I don't think the attackers quite have the foresight to short stocks and, and cause disruption. I think sometimes they're like, oh, wow, I caused some issues. And you know, they're, they're strategic in how they get there, but they don't often know the ramifications and, and the impact that that can have. Yeah, yet, right? We're, we're, we're yet. still um, in this concept of smaller tribes, but that's changing faster. Uh, it's it's more now a global tribe when a tweet can reach, you know, three, four, five million people. So uh, I want to move, given the given the season, I want to move to something more warm, fuzzy, and, and <laughs> happy, if I may, and, and close up where I started uh, Tyler Robinson. So let's talk about you, you know, family life. Um, you know, what's your mantra? What's your purpose? I, I asked this question uh, with great intent and purpose um, because, you know, that's that sets the direction. You you Everything that you do seems so well aligned. You are an ambassador uh, for your trade, right? So talk about, you know, family life, your, your mantra and your core values, please. Yeah, I mean, fam family is pretty critical to me. That's one of the, the key fundamental things of uh, really keeping the focus on why we do what we do. We have a lot of people that count on us. And as I've moved forward, like one of the things is, is always continually improving and being the best version of me. And that iteration happens sometimes, you know, hourly. So like, there's a lot of time that's been spent in personal development. That's one of the key areas, and that is, you know, how to be a better husband, how to be a better dad, how do you raise kids that are you know, smart, confident? How do I not push them into something that I'm doing? How do you, you know, learn better patience, better approach, the psychology of, you know, what age they're at, how to speak to them to get the results you need? Because you know, we're still parents. You're still there's still life. You have grades and homework and fits and tantrum. So really trying to be the very best version of me and translate my professional abilities um, back to my family so that it matters. Like I, I try not to uh, live to work, but I work to live and really trying to get that balance. Now that's not always been good, uh, especially in the early days of offense that you're getting your foot in the door and you're trying to do this. Oftentimes you're working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week to keep up a lot of that studying, a lot of that's uh, getting to where you need to go. Sometimes that's what the job requires and really making sure that you're not losing relationships, you're keeping connections, you're finding little moments, doing the best you can with what you have. Uh, and personally, making sure that you take care of yourself. It does no one any good if I'm, you know, 
having a heart attack and die next year because I didn't take care of myself because I put, you know, too much time and energy and, and didn't take care of my body. So I spent a lot of time around personal development, understanding how the body works, biohacking, done a lot in epidemiology, uh, spent a good deal of time personally trying to get uh, a lot of the, the high performance coaches. I've spent a good deal of money to, to get them to figure out what makes people high performers, how to tweak that and hack that and, and utilize the things that, that matter to me in order to uh, get to the core values, which is make the world a better place. Really, I'm trying to get people, and I wouldn't even say the world. There's there's a difference here, I think, in me versus a lot of people's response. I, I believe in taking care of the planet and really doing good things, but I think as humankind, we've overemphasized a lot of the things that we dump our heart and soul into, and we've forgotten people are the core, the singularity within side of the universe that's very unique. We are all individualized. We're all unique. We all bring a unique perspective and really appreciating that and trying to figure out how to make people better with every encounter that I come across and how I can do that to give back to them so that the world becomes a better place through people. People are the important piece in, in the world. There's no reason to save the environment or save the planet if we're letting you know children starve to death and die. That's, that's uh, ignorant. Or saving the cats and the dogs if kids are homeless and, and having a hard time getting adopted or, or starving to death. That doesn't make sense to me. So really my, my mantra is focusing on people and leaving people better because they've met me in some capacity. And that usually requires you giving something and not expecting something back. When we start to really understand ourselves and realize that if we remove the expectations of another person and what we're trying to gain from them and stop pulling that, we have to set our capitalistic mindset down and stop pulling from people and we really just give selflessly, then in turn, that always comes back. I've never had you know, relationships I've poured into, favors I've done, I've never had that not be meaningful or come back to me. That may not come back from that person, but at some point, like it's good for me. It's good for my soul. It's good for my mental capabilities. So really making people better through pouring into people. I think that is uh, the biggest thing. If we all just empathize a little bit more, try and see a point of view, keep an open mind, trying to love the other person, realize that we all come from different backgrounds, different uh, understandings, beliefs, uh, history, you can see how people's opinions, like if you remove the empathy and you remove the ability for me to think about your side of it and everything and take it so far that I feel so much compassion, I would go against my very grain and, and who I am to make sure that I help you because I see your side. If you take that out, you see why people's opinions, you start to fight and you have these political battles and everybody's taking sides and, and being mean and ignorant to each other. Uh, really we've lost our ability to empathize. So if we can gain that love and that empathy back and really start to care for our fellow human being more than we care for ourselves, that's when we start to see a world that has changed. And that's where my core values, everything is is based around that and how to make people better and, and be better for uh, having met me. Deep thoughts, Mr. Robinson. So we've <laughs> you brought back to me in your conversation uh, the time that we spend learning and we're trying to build our businesses, um, I am ashamed, but I will, in a moment of full transparency, admit that I was kicked out in 1994 uh, out of uh, the hospital room 
by a labor nurse because my Motorola brick phone was ringing while my wife was in pain <laughs> delivering our firstborn. Okay, so mm-hmm. there's a true confession. And we do spend time, and you're right, we've got to balance the diaper bag, the kids' needs, and our careers. And then we move on from that, that urge for success to an urge for significance. And you so beautifully tied it up from where you opened up and you talked about in the beginning about relationships and building careers and you emphasized relationships. And here you are, um, you know, wanting to leave or to influence people around you. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Our listeners are better for this conversation. Uh, I am better for this conversation you've got my mind going a mile a minute if we need to find you follow you learn more about you where do we go um i'm pretty available anywhere uh, linkedin uh twitter tyler underscore robinson uh, i try and respond to twitter to email uh pretty much anywhere you can you can find me if you reach out um, i try and take the time to acknowledge people and realize that you know everyone's starting and trying to get something so i i do try and respond but i am also very busy so sometimes it takes a little bit of time but yeah feel free to reach out follow anything i'm doing uh the the podcast kind of keeps up with uh, some of the stuff i do um but yeah i'm available and and always here to help people if they need it You are a good man, Tyler Robinson. Thank you for everything you do to keep us safe. And thank you for making this world a better place. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us on this episode of Secure IT as I continue the cybersecurity discussion with customers, vendors, end users, and employees, helping us learn from their insights and knowledge and from their experiences. Make sure to follow this podcast for free on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and wherever podcasts are hosted. Please do not hesitate to DM me on LinkedIn or Twitter with feedback, questions, kudos, and comments. Thanks again, and see you next month.